stuck on the M2. Um, but it's good to be here. So, should we just get straight into it and pretend the last 10 minutes didn't happen? <laughs> <laughs> Is that alright? How about I pray and then we will um, we'll get chatting. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for this time and this space here this afternoon. And Father, I ask your grace upon us now by your spirit that you would be leading our thoughts, you'd be softening our hearts right now to what you have to say to us over the next 45 minutes, 60 minutes. Father, we above all things are seeking your direction. We above all things are seeking your call on our lives and we want our lives to be lived in honour of you. And so Father, we submit ourselves right now to your presence. Amen. Amen. Um, probably for me, uh, I don't know if you know me, I'm Graham, um, that's still wrong, but we won't, get, we won't get into details or anything like that. I am uh, the senior pastor out at Northside Baptist, which is in Crow's Nest, uh, Baptist church there, um, medium-sized church, depending on what you call a medium-sized church, we have a team there of uh, seven people, uh, and a couple of services on a Sunday, I've been there for four years, and absolutely um, before there, I was working uh, for a church called St. Philip's in South Carolina uh, and was there for about eight years. So I've got about 15 years' experience in formal kind of church paid ministry. Before that, or during that, I was a school teacher for about 10 years as well. The school very much like this, Covenant Christian School. Um, so, yeah, that's me. Uh, but for me, as I've thought about what, what my understanding of what we're talking about this afternoon is. What is God's call on our lives? What does it mean, perhaps, to have a life that is called by God into a specific type of ministry? Um, I believe, as I'm sure most of you do, that we're all called to ministry and we are all empowered by the Spirit to minister in whichever context He has placed us, wherever that is. Um, the question, I think, what, what we're here to do is wrestle with that question of, well, what if it is, what if that calling is towards uh, the kind of formal ministry within a church? For me, the story I often tell um, or think about when I come to this sort of thing is, it was about 10 years ago, a very good friend of mine called me and he said, mate, I've got a plan. We are going to have the most amazing time. And he talked to me about the fact that we were going to get on our motorbikes and we were going to leave from Sydney and we were going to ride around to Perth following the southern coast of Australia. It was going to be a three-week trip, just the most amazing time. Three of us guys were going to do it. And uh, I couldn't. by the end of the conversation, I couldn't wait for this trip to start. Now, there was a few key details in the way. One was that none of us had bikes and none of us had licenses. Um, and he was, he was talking about doing this trip in four months' time. And, uh, and we were like, well, nothing is going to get in the way. Like, this is what we are called to do this year. And so, uh, because we were above 30 at the time, the law at the time was that you'd basically get your L's and then go straight to your P's, go straight to your full license pretty quickly. Incredibly dangerous. I'm so glad the law has changed now and you can't do it like that. Unless I don't think you can do it like that. So within three months, all three of us have got our licenses. We'd done the training course just down around the corner from here. We'd bought bikes. We'd all bought exactly the same bike, which looking back on it is a little bit weird. <laughs> um, and we got 
got ourselves kitted up and one early one Sunday morning we set off to ride around the southern coast of Australia. We got as far, I lived in Taramara, we got as far as Hornsby and because um, we were just going to put a back rack on the bike and we realised actually we've got no idea what we're doing. And we spent the rest of the day re-kitting ourselves and actually getting some of the gear that we found out we needed. And so the next morning, we left uh, pretty early and we were off. And we had, we had the most amazing time, like going down through uh, Gundagai and then Albury, Wodonga, and then through Melbourne, a bit of time in Melbourne, and then around the coast to Adelaide. My sister lived in Adelaide, we were there, then down Port Lincoln. It was just the most amazing time for three guys to be camping and riding and free and following this dream. Until we got to uh, out, out of a town called Sajuna, which is um, just near the, um, the desert there, the Nullarbor, and uh, the longest straight stretch of road in the country. I can't remember exactly what it is, but something like 110 k's or 200 k's, just one straight line. And just before we got there, we realised that my back tyre was about to blow. And if the back tyre was going in a straight line for that long, it probably wouldn't make it. And there was nowhere to change tyre. So I turned back to Sejuna. And because I hadn't been following, like we'd been travelling in formation for two weeks at that point. And all of a sudden I didn't have somebody in front of me or someone behind me who I was aware of. I was kind of disoriented. And before I knew it, I'd actually... Um, I'd done what you learn, the very first thing you learn in motorbike riding school is the bike will always go where you are looking. And uh, so I was going, just before Sejuna, I was going around this corner and I was looking up one way to see if there was a service station to do my tyre. Bike was going that way, I'm looking that way, so of course I ended up heading straight there, splitting the different, went, went straight off the road. Um, and it was, a, it was a pretty ordinary accident. Uh, I was a little bit injured, but I was, I was out, I was kind of out of the the race as it were. And I remember just um, trying to call up my friends and uh, the mobile wasn't working out there. So I knew that basically every road stop they went past, they would stop and feed these guys ate more than anybody else I'd ever seen. And so I went through the map and I found this road stop and I called them and I said, hey, this is gonna sound so weird, but is there two guys there that's just eating everything you've got? And this guy was like, Mate, they're eating us out of house and home. I said, that's him, can you put them on? And um, so one of them came on and I said, hey mate, I've crashed and uh, my bike's not rideable. And I was expecting, you know, I was expecting a little bit of sympathy. There was this brief silence and he said, you all right? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. He said, good, we'll, we'll meet you back in Sydney. So what? That's not right. Anyway, we, I'm not here to talk about that. We've repaired our friendship since then, it's fine. Um, the, the, the point of the story, there's, there's a couple of points to the story. One is the vision. When somebody has a vision of, hey, this is what we're doing, and it's an exciting vision, it's pretty easy to get on, on board that vision. If you have a vision of, I think I'm called towards working for a church, and that for you is an exciting idea, it's pretty easy to get on board that vision. You want to be surrounded with people as you do that, because that makes it a heck of a lot easier. But the key part of this story that I think is important for me and important for us as well in terms of what we're talking about today is where we're heading. We will, wherever we're looking, is where the bike, as it were, will go. 
if our full focus is towards working for a church at some point, that's probably where we'll go. Um, but what I want to suggest today is that's not the vision that we need to have. Regardless of where our ministry takes us, regardless of where the Spirit prompts us, we want our vision to be first and foremost Jesus, the life, the death, resurrection of Jesus. We want Him to be who we are facing so that where we go is along the path that Jesus calls us towards. And what we realise in that instance, what I've realised in that instance, is that it doesn't really matter if I'm ministering in a school, it doesn't matter if I'm ministering in local government. I worked for local government for a couple of years between being a teacher and, um, and working for a church. It doesn't matter if I'm a musician. I worked for, as a musician for four years. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter where I am. I want, to be fa- I want to be looking towards Jesus. I want Him to be shaping the path that I'm walking on. I think that... Regardless of where we go, that's what where we want to be facing. Does that make sense? It's kind of a core <coughs> underlying... <coughs> I don't have another word for that. A, a core underlying <coughs> for everything we talk about this afternoon. Is that alright? As a starting point? So I wonder, um, as we, if we have that as a starting point, I wonder if you could just tell me, what are some of the questions that you come with this afternoon... And I've, got, I've just got three really key things that I want to talk about in terms of church-based ministry, um, and then three practices that I encourage people that are thinking about church-based ministry, three practices to get us engaging with right from the outset that will help us keep facing towards Jesus. That's all I want to speak about, but if you have questions that take us in another direction, that's a whole lot more fun. So what are your questions? You've walked in, here, walked in the door here, you've waited an extra 10 minutes... Um, yeah? Um, well, I've always, since I was about eight, so for about five years, I've always thought that I was going to be a physiotherapist, and then like three weeks ago or something, I heard something that they could do, oh wait, I want to be a pastor, yeah. and then like, there was something today, I didn't go to the one to go to the worship thing, but it was like something about women and leadership, and it was saying that girls can't be pastors because that's what it says in the Bible, like, they can't go past, like, a higher-level woman elder. Right. So, what's your question? Can I be a pastor? Yeah. As a woman? What would be a way to become a pastor? Wow, we've just gone straight in there. I'm going to answer that, and I think you're going to be encouraged, but we'll come back to it. Okay? I'm just going to make sure I say what, what I I think soul survival would agree with, um, but effectively the answer is yes, go for it. You've got everything biblical behind you. And that's what the talk said this morning. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, but we'll we'll come back to that. Thank you. Um, so I have a concern because I feel like some of my gifts might be in ministry, but then I have <coughs> other passions and stuff mm. that might. Yeah, cool. Yeah, what do I do? There's so many things I could do. I went yeah. to a workshop on spiritual gifts and it talks about how passions are a huge part of your spiritual gifts. Yes. And but now they're kind of like conflicting. Yes. Yeah, great. Great question. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
How do you know? Yeah. 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 Good questions. I'm just going to write this down and make sure I've covered it. Yeah. Um, like I've always felt like I wanted to start um, ministry in something that I have passion in and something I enjoy doing, but something that I've been wrestling with is whether I just want to do it because it's what I love doing and it's my passion, or whether it's something that I feel like God wants me to do. As in, just make sure I've heard you right, doing like formal church ministry because that's a passion or or yeah, like, something else because something else is a passion but God wants me to be a pastor. No, no, no. Form like a, like a, like a church ministry around my passion. Yeah, great. What's your passion? Well, music and then sports for the start. Great. So, like, outdoors. Yeah, sure. Cool. <coughs> Please, good. So the three, I think, some key questions coming out of that is really what it comes down to is um, how do I know I'm called is really that, that key question, which is what, what we're talking about this afternoon. How do I know I'm called? And the other questions that I want to pull out of that is when, the, the when question, if I do know I'm called, when am I called? Does that mean I'll start right now? Um, and the kind of how, what's the pathway between here and there, wherever there is. Does gender make a difference in pathway? Does gifting make a difference in that pathway? Um, let's, let's kind of get into that. Is that alright? That's, that's great. Any other questions? Please, as we go along, just butt in and say, hey, what you just said made absolutely no sense, or what you just said was utterly brilliant. Could you say it again? I need to write it down so that I can tell everyone later how amazing you were. That's <laughs> as well. There's a guy called Frederick Beatner who says, um, your calling is where the world's deep hunger and your deep gladness meet. The world's deep hunger, where, your, where the world's deep hunger and where your deep gladness meet. And so I think, I think, and we're in, a, in an incredibly privileged kind of place to even be able to answer or ask these questions, what is my deep gladness? Most of our world doesn't get to ask the question, well, what is my, what is my deep hunger? What's the world's deep hunger? What's my deep gladness? Most of the world is kind of like, well, this is how I'm going to survive for the next month or week or day. So just from the outset, we want to make it clear, this is an amazingly privileged question that we get to ask. Um, so when we ask it, we want to ask it humbly, and we want to ask it um, kind of open to what God is saying uh, in it as well. And so I think that question of, well, what is my, what is my deep gladness? What, how am I created is another way of putting that. How has God put me together to be the unique person that I am? I always come back to uh, Matthew chapter 4 here where Jesus says, uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people, you know, he's, he's calling his very first disciples. And there's something about that line which is incredible. If you're reading it in a recent translation, you'll read that it actually says, follow me. Jesus said, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. I think, I think it's a terrible translation. If, you, if you're happy to scroll in your Bible, just put a line through that and say, it's not actually there. The word there is make. Jesus says, 
follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And that word make is the most important, grammatically, it's the most important part of the sentence, which is why I get a little bit distressed that they've changed in the translation. But the word make is a poema, which is where we get the word poem from. And so what, what Jesus is saying is, follow me, learn life from me, take my rhythms on you, or my way of life, my yoke is another way of putting that, my teachings, take my teachings, follow me, and I will make, I will take you as you are, I will take you as a female, I'll take you in your giftings, I'll take you as a male, I'll take you with your desire for music and sport, I'll take you as you are, and I will reform, form and reform you, this beautiful creative process, into somebody who is, in their context, fishing for people, in our context, serving God, in whichever context he has us. It's an incredibly powerful verse. And so I think, again, that needs to be a key foundation for us, that we want to first and foremost be following Jesus in that, that he would take us as we are. I was, I'd been teaching for, I'm a missionary kid, so I grew up on the mission field uh, for about 10 years, and then I, I came back to Australia, I was in Papua New Guinea, Highlands of Papua New Guinea, came back to Australia when I was about 13, and I didn't know anything other than to, the way I put it is to Christian my way through life. I knew everything that was right. I knew all the right answers about the Bible, I knew the right ways to live, came back and the associate pastor at our church put on this trivia competition and I just took great pleasure in proving him wrong every step of the way. He loved it. I'm sure he loved it. Um, but And then I Christianed my way through school, Christianed my way through uni, ended up teaching at a Christian school. You know, I was, I was doing all... And it was like it was a great way to grow up. It wasn't bad. It just... I realised one afternoon, I remember this so clearly, it was a Friday afternoon, I was sitting in a room a little bit bigger than this, and I was planning the next week's lessons. And part of teaching the Christian school was that I needed to do devotions with my class every day. And I realised that after just two terms in the job, I was a year six teacher, after two terms in the job, I'd kind of stopped doing devotions. And I thought, oh, I've signed a contract saying I'm going to do devotions. I really have to do devotions. And I remember saying, God, I, these, these kids are bored with devotions. And then it was kind of this straightaway realisation it's because you're bored with the devotions. How can you expect to help other people be interested in something that you're just tediously going through the motions? And I sat there and I prayed what I think is probably one of the key prayers of my life. It wasn't dramatic, nothing, you know, I wasn't, as Matt said, I didn't have a little lie down with the Lord at the moment. I just, I was there praying this really normal everyday prayer. I said, um, Jesus, if you want me to tell people about you, I need to know what I'm talking about. Because I don't want to talk about something that's somebody else's idea. I don't want to talk about something that is not something that I know. Um, and over the next three or four years, my understanding of God completely shifted. And I, I put it back to that prayer. It wasn't a fun time as kind of all things I thought about God kind of um, got challenged and I had to rethink a bunch of things. But what I realized was when the Bible talks about knowledge, when the Bible talks about knowing Jesus, it's talking about a deep experiential relationship with God. And first and foremost, that's what I wanted. I wanted to have a deep experiential relationship with God so that when I talked to others about Him, when I led others towards Him, I knew exactly 
what I was talking about and who I was leading towards, if that makes sense. And that comes back to my key thing of we must at all times be facing towards Jesus, looking towards Jesus. He is our ultimate vision no matter where we're going. It was shortly after I started working for a church, I was praying another prayer and I was like, Lord, I'm now leading. It was a, it was a, a, an evening congregation of about 150 um, school, school kids and, and young people. And um, I remember saying, Lord, I, I, got, I, was, I think I was 26, 27 at the time. I was like, Lord, I've got no idea what I'm doing. I'm 41 now. I still <laughs> really, don't really know what I'm doing. But um, I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I lead these people? And he just said, like, I've really sensed God saying to me, you've got to love them, you've got to listen to them, and you've got to let them go. And, and that's what I keep coming back to. I want my knowledge of who Jesus is to shape the way that I love the people around me, if that makes sense. So where am I looking? I'm looking to Jesus. How am I looking to Jesus? By knowing him, by this deep experiential relationship with Christ. What does that look like? It looks like love. Which is love is um, how do I put, love is moving towards someone else for their good. Um, so that's the key role of someone in pastoral ministry is always moving towards someone else for their good. Does that make sense? <coughs> I said I'd give you a couple of practices that you can kind of just test out on yourself to help along the way work out is this what I'm called towards? And one of the practices for me, which has been most powerful is what I call um, secret and intentional acts of kindness. One of the things about ministry is that you're always looking for the people around you and you're always hoping that you can move towards them for their good, knowing that you're selfish, knowing that you're kind of faulty, but knowing that you want to be pointing everyone and yourself towards Jesus. A great way of practicing that is these uh, secret acts of intentional kindness. And I'm sure you're doing like you're doing amazing stuff this week at Seoul. The secret act of intentional kindness is just thinking, um, I don't know, someone in your tent or someone in your room. What, what what could be something they would really appreciate right now? What is something tangible I could do for them, and they will never know that it was me that did it. So it becomes a little bit of a game. When they when they find out it was you, that's fine. That's not the point. But actually going, how can I bless people in ways that they will never discover that it was me? Does that make sense? Any examples of what that might look like for you? Actually, let's make this practical. Write two things down right now that you can do before the end of today. Two things, should we make it one? Is two too much? Okay, for extension students, we can do it two. Uh, one thing that you can do by the end of today, an intentional act of, a secret and intentional act of kindness that you can do by the end of today that the person you do it for will not be able to discover that it's you. We're going to hear some of these in just a moment. Write it down or think it and pretend that you're writing it down. Any thoughts? I know that we've kind of found a loophole that if we say it in this room, people in this room will know and it's no longer a secret. Uh, but let's just, you know, whatever's said in here stays in here and see what happens. What's one thing? Really simple, really tangible. Wash someone's dishes. Mm. Perfect. Anything else? 
Yeah. If someone moves their camping gear lying around, they can just pick it up and put it away. From Perfect. They don't even need to know that they left it lying around. Yes. Yeah. That's the humbling part of it. Imagine committing to praying for someone every day for a year and they never know. And then they, you start seeing things happen in their life that you've been praying for and you desperately want to say to them, I prayed for that! But no, you keep your mouth shut because it's not about you. It's about their relationship with Jesus. Brilliant. Any other, any other ideas? Just see how you go, because what we're doing in this, we're not just doing nice things. We're actually teaching ourselves how to minister God's love to others for the sake of God's love. Not for the sake of us, not for the sake of what we get out of it, although it is kind of fun. It's a different type of fun. Um, but it's practicing that, because that's one of the core things that... Whatever type of ministry you're in, that's one of the core things that you'll find is you moving towards others for their good a lot and very rarely getting recognition or thanks for it. And if you're already practiced, then you're 10 steps ahead um, and you don't take a decade like I did to get used to the idea that not everyone thinks you're amazing. My wife thinks I'm amazing some of the time. When I pick up after her and tell her that I just picked up after her. <laughs> So that's, that's um, one of the first things, is this foundation, and I'll just say it again, we're looking to Jesus because we want to point others towards Jesus, we want to know who we're pointing people towards, and we want others to experience the lo His love that we know, that we experience as well. Does that make sense? Hmm. Any other questions popping up? Or should I, what time does this finish by? Till about five. Six thirty. Six thirty. Yeah, we've got dinner at five thirty, so technically you could just go. So we'll go so but we'll go for like another twenty, twenty five minutes, yeah? How's that? Yeah. Cool. Um, any other questions coming up so far? Can I can can we can we address the, the, the gender question? Because that's come up. That's come up for a long time, quite a bit, and I wasn't here this morning. So what, what was said this morning? Did you say something was said about that this morning? Um, yeah, look, it was given by a, a lady from the UK Soul Team. Oh, Ali. Ali. Yep. And uh, she looked at the contextual examples that speak for women in, in, in ministry and the examples of ladies who were... <coughs> For example, a deacon, not a deaconess, a deacon, and uh, one lady who was actually um, a co-worker with Paul and um, mm. was speaking into life to one of the male um, early church workers, um, you know, in a, in a way of authority and um, a way of uh, verging or rebuking in a sense, but, mm. but as a mm. mentor, not as a you know, mm. Nazi, uh, so quite affirming also spoke about um, you 
looking at those things in a context and what it says about uh, ladies um, to be quiet and to be submissive, um, she was saying we all need to be quiet and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. Uh, she was talking about how ladies weren't allowed to learn, but you know, Jesus let women sit and his feet, which they weren't meant to do, that's where the students sit, but Jesus the examples of women, you know, discovering the empty tomb and going for bikes and things like that. So, uh, just trying to encourage, if God is calling ladies into ministry or women into ministry, that then, then seek after that. If that's what God's bringing on you. Yeah, yeah thank you. I, I mean, I see a real kind of similarity between the three questions, and, and the key part of it that, that you guys have. The key part of it is gifting. I think if God gifts us towards something, then we're gifted towards that, regardless of anything else. I think my um, my perspective, and I've done quite a bit of work in the area, but my perspective is that the Bible, the Bible support for men and women in um, ministry, in leadership, as pastors, senior pastors, is overwhelming. I know the arguments that say actually senior leadership is for men and junior leadership or deaconate ministry is for women. I, I, I can see those and very smart people make those, but I, I, I think the Bible is overwhelmingly supporting. If you're gifted, you should be doing it. If somebody's gifted for senior leadership in a church, they should be empowered to do that. <coughs> yeah. But it comes back to... But it comes back to these questions then of, well, what is my gifting? What is my passion? What is my deep gladness? Uh, what is the de- world's deep hunger where I am? Um, and that takes a little bit of, of self-understanding to work out, well, um, what, um, how has God put me together uh, in order to do this? And I think, I think this is a really fun Kind of thing to go on because the it, it's kind of like one of my mentors said, you know, the tomb's empty, the pressure's off, just go and have fun. Mm-hmm. I was like, that took so much pressure. I've got to work all of this out straight away. So I'm, I'm working with God. I'm on an adventure with Him. I'm learning how He's made me for the purpose of serving the people around me. Uh, and we're all made and gifted in incredibly different ways. Um, if I wasn't gifted in the way that I was gifted, I think I. You know, if, if I wasn't gifted in the way I am gifted, I think I would find my job difficult. Um, but if I was doing a different job in a different church, I could probably find that very difficult. So it's we, we need to work out, so how has God gifted us? So going to the, you know, what are my spiritual gifts? And what happens when I'm, when I'm talking to someone about um, Jesus or when I'm talking to someone about something else? What, I realise, wow, my heart's beating right now. This is actually, this is really fun. Um, then we're getting into the realm of, oh, I'm gifted in this. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. What if you feel cold but you don't feel like you're gifted? That's a really good question. I feel cold but I don't feel <coughs> gifted. This leads us perfectly, I think I might skip the next part I was going to say and talk about the practice yeah. um, that is key for this area. And so we want to learn how to love, move towards others for their good. We want to learn how to listen. We want to learn how to listen really well. 
Uh, and listening, uh, I don't know if listening skills are taught in schools, uh, they certainly weren't when I was a teacher, but listening skills, the art of really being able to sit with someone, hear what they're saying, be able to repeat back to them what you have heard, and then test that with each other, like it's an incredible gift. I discovered this gift when I was about 24, 25, and um, I had kind of fumbled my way through uh, relationships with girls at that stage, and I was reading this book, and the book said something like, you know, it was a terribly black and white statement, but it was like, all girls like being listened to. And I was like, well, I like girls, I'd better learn how to listen. And so I read all these books on listening skills, and I could do all of the listening skills really well. It's still didn't work for me because I was a bit of a jerk, but um, I've, I've grown through that, I hope. Um, but listening skills are incredible in terms of just being able to silently sit there. You know, in conversations, most of us in a conversation are thinking, I've got something really good to say. I've got something really good to say next. And you're just waiting for that person to take a breath. So, boom, you can say what you're about to say. Or you're thinking, oh, I know how to fix this. Uh, I've, got, I've got the best words of advice for you. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you fix this. And both guys and girls do both things all the time. But what it means is we're actually not listening to what's being said. In order to be able to move, and I'm going to get to where you're at in the moment, in order to be able to move towards others for their good, we need to be able to listen to them. We need to be able to actually hear, what do you need right now? I think the best way to practice that is to spend time listening to God. Because God, we believe God is a speaking God. God, we believe, is someone who is leading us every step of the way. I was, um, I'd been working for a church for five years, six years, and a, a job at another church came up. And it was a really, like, it was a massive pay increase. It was, I think the congregation was about twice the size, so it, made my, it was good for my ego as well. And I was walking with my mentor, walking, um, I think it was around Manly, and I was just kind of talking to him about my whole options. I was like, and these are all the these are all of the pros of going to a new job, and these are all the cons of going to a new job. I had it all mapped out. He just kind of listened. And after a while he said, Okay, well, what does God say? What is God telling you to do? I was like, What? No, I've, I've told you all the pros, I've told you all the cons. He said, Yeah, but I believe that God is a speaking God, and if we ask him what we should do, then he will be faithful and he will tell us. And I was kind of I was kind of floored. I was like, man, I'm already a pastor. I'm not even listening to God very well. Um, but I did. I just started praying to well, God, what do you want me to do in this? And it became actually pretty clear. He wanted me to stay exactly where I was. And praise him for that because I was much better there than if I moved. The art of listening to God in this is an incredible... Like, listening to God is an incredible privilege. Um... And listening to God, as, as we practice all the time, particularly on camps like this, um, will inform our direction, will inform the way we're going. So I would, I mean, I would say to you and I'd say to all of us, actually, one of the key things we want to practice is learning how to be silent. Learning how to be silent before God and learning how to be silent next to each other. Silence before God is literally as simple as not speaking, saying, hey God, I want to be with you for the next 10 minutes. If there's something you want to say, I'm listening, I'm not going to say anything. And your mind will wander and you'll start thinking about somebody else or something else. That's fine. When you realise your mind's wandering, you just remind yourself, oh God, I'm here with you and I want to listen to what you have to say. And it's just silence. 
There's nothing incredibly mysterious about it. There is something deeply spiritual about listening to God in that. But when we're practiced like that, we're able to say to God, God, I sense that you're calling me towards ministry. I want to listen to what you have to say. I think really practically, for me, when I find myself in those positions, uh, and I'm really not sure, I ask for what they call, and it might be talked about by some people here, like a threefold confirmation. Um, I'm going to ask God a question of God. So when I was going, when I, just before I started the job that I have now, I said to God, I want a threefold confirmation. I want you to tell me this is where I'm supposed to go. I want somebody else to tell me this is where I'm supposed to go that's got, who's, who's got nothing to do with the situation. And I want some other confirmation as well. And I'm not going to go until I get that. Um, and then I listen. Um, it's not, it's, for me, that's not so much testing God. Um, testing God would be, well, I'm going to go and you better make it work or I'm going to get out. Um, but it's actually, no, God, I, I think you're calling me here. I want to, I want to listen to what you're saying. Does that make sense? And it gives space and it gives time. It takes the pressure off you to try and sort it out. Because if God is who made you, if God is who gave you the gifts that you have, and you do, um, then he's going to show you the way to use those as well. Does that make sense? That's good. Uh, excuse me. I've got to go. Yeah, please. Please. I could say I'm called, but I wouldn't say that. <laughs> called to serve dinner. <laughs> Anything else popped out out of that? We've got about 10 minutes to go. I just want to talk about the third, the third thing. The third, well, the third thing I want to talk about. So the first one is, um, am I called? What, what is my calling? How do I know that I'm called? And then when am I called? When is the right time? When do I press play on this? And again, I think the key thing that I always say, and I'm normally talking about this with people who are at Bible college, and so they've kind of already, in, in a way, pressed, pressed go on, on the adventure. But what I, what I want to say is um, waiting is very, very good. Uh, waiting for anything is very, very good. We're not great at waiting. We, we like to have answers, and we like to be able to act on those answers very quickly. But waiting is good. So many of the Psalms focus on waiting. Psalm 27, my heart says, you seek his face, your, your face, Lord, I will seek. And then wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. It's this active waiting. Often we think of waiting as like standing, waiting for a bus to come. We've just got, or the bus has to come. And if the bus doesn't come, I've got nothing to get on. And if I miss the bus, it's all over. And I often think, worry that we approach life a little bit like that. Like I'm just sitting here, I'm just waiting and maybe I miss the bus, and maybe it's all over for me. I don't think waiting on God is like that. I think waiting on God is a much more active process where we're joining with Him in what He is doing. But we want to learn, uh, we want to learn how to actually wait on Him for His time. My recommendation is always, if someone senses a call into formal church ministry, my recommendation is always plan on something else. Um, if you're gifted for teaching, go and teach. If you're gifted to, um, did you say physio? Go and be a physio. If you're gifted for anything else, go and do it and see how God directs your paths. Um, I think the people who are most suited to pastoral ministry are people that have worked for five or ten years in a profession. 
before they start working for a church. Um, because otherwise we don't really understand the lives of the people uh, that we're serving. Not that that's not a rule, by the way. Uh, if God opens the door before then, go through it. Uh, but my advice is always plan on something else and wait for God to direct your paths. Uh, wait on God to direct your path. Does that make sense? It's a little bit of a frustrating answer because people want, because we do naturally desire a map to show us where to go. Uh, but I think it's a, I think it's an answer that helps us actively wait on God. And I want to suggest a practice that helps you wait on God as well. You're going to be doing it all week, uh, but the practice is just active worshiping, worshiping God. If singing, if singing is a way that you worship God, then sing. Just sing. If writing is a way that you worship God, then write. Just do something that is you intentionally giving glory to God in the moment with no agenda. Uh, and that's, I think that's how we learn how to wait. Um, yeah. I kind of rushed through that a little bit, so I hope that makes sense. Uh, but what I want to learn to do, just to recap all of that, what I want to learn how to do as a pastor, as someone who's working for a church, I want to learn how to love how to move towards others for their good, and I want to learn that from Jesus. I want to learn how to listen, how just to sit with people to hear their story. I want to learn that from Jesus. Uh, I want to sit and listen to Him. I want to learn how to let go of the process, is the third thing. I want to learn how to not map everything out and have it all sorted uh, before I get there. I want to know that I'm not necessarily in control. I'm responsible but I'm not in control. That's, that's up to God uh, to, to be the person driving the bus, as it were. Um, and the three practices, uh, secret and intentional acts of kindness, and do those over this week because they're just fun. Uh, sitting in silence and listening, and you have opportunity this week to do that as well. And just worshipping. Worshipping because God is God. You are not, we are not, and we have the privilege of being able to worship Him with no agenda. Uh, I'm not worshipping you, God, so that I have an answer. I'm worshipping you because you're God. I really believe those three practices will set us up for a lifetime uh, of serving God in ministry. And just to kind of close this off, when I was 18, uh, there was a preacher who was at my church, and he was actually talking about giving, <coughs> tithing. Um, and I remember him saying, um, whatever habit you choose to take on as a 17, 18 year old that is the habit that will stick with you for most of your life uh, and over time I thought well that's ridiculous like I've got so much time to change all of my habits but what I've found is the habits that I take on in my late teens, early 20s have really shaped me and we all change over time by the grace of God, by the power of His Spirit but any habits that you intentionally take on now will be the ones that will shape you for the next 10, 15 years into that time of ministry. So don't underestimate what God is doing with you, in you, for you, through you, right now as well. I'm going to stop there and see if there are any questions. If there are no questions, we're done. If there are questions, we'll push into a bit more. Yeah. Um, so, it's a bit weird, but almost how do you know if things are obstacles that you're supposed to get over and how do you know if you're being stopped because you're trying to go down the wrong path? 
Why did you start with that? Sorry, you know, you know, you know, just came Yeah. yeah. Um, by moving to, I think, to be really blunt and practical, yeah. by moving towards the, optical, the obstacles, by listening, and by worshipping. Yeah. I, th I think it's those three things. But, but acknowledging, wow, there's an obstacle here. I, w I was sure that's where I was supposed to go. And so the prayer that I pray is God, I need a double brick wall or I need, a wa I need this wall smashed down right okay. now. Because um, I'm slow uh, and, and I, I need things like that to be obvious. Yeah. So I just kind of, I do own it. But when I realise, wow, this is an obstacle, I wait. But if I'm already in the habit of waiting, I'm not impatient about yeah. through the obstacle, okay. if that makes sense. Um, it's a good question. Hopefully that's helpful. Yes, yeah. Questions? I'm going to invite us to do something. There might be another question just bubbling through, so I'll come back and ask that question again just in case. Uh, it's called the double altar call. Um, I'm going to invite us to do something that at 5 o'clock in the afternoon is going to be really, really difficult. But to finish with, I'm just going to invite us into three or four minutes of just being silent before God, saying, God, I'm here, uh, I've got questions, and I want to listen, and this is first and foremost about you. And you might find in this prayer time, there's that one line, that one, that just that one line prayer that sums it all up for you. For me, it was, God, I want to, I want to know who I'm talking about. might be something else for you. Um, but, um, it's Josh Kim. Um, yeah, is that all right? <coughs> Remember, silence is as simple as not speaking. You can have your eyes open in silence. You can have them shut. There's no rules. Uh, just relax. Be here. And we acknowledge from the outset, God, that you are here in your fullness by your spirit. That's why we're here. We're thankful for that. We're so thankful for that. And Father, we believe that you are a speaking God. And we want to take time to listen. So it's only going to be three or four minutes, which might seem like a long time. If your mind wanders, that's fine.